once was not a believer of his own brother, Jesus Christ. Uh, certain ways we can understand why. But nevertheless, Lord God, he became an advocate and a follower of Christ just like the rest of us. Therefore, Lord God, we uh, take your word, Lord God, and we hear it from the voice of Jesus' brother to speak what we need to do as believers in Christ. Lord God, prepare our hearts and our minds, Lord God. We've already worshipped you in song and giving, Lord, and in fellowship, Lord God. All these ways, Lord God, we pray that you would again dig up the fallow ground, that hard ground, Lord God, that continues to be persistent in our life, Lord God, that we sometimes refuse to allow you in to do your perfect work in us, Lord. We want to walk in obedience. We want to hear your word. So strengthen us today. And we ask you these things in Christ's name. Amen. It's, uh, again, very clear to most of us with all the things that are going on in the world today, from the hurricanes to the earthquakes to the mudslides. I'm not sure if you have heard that there are mudslides going on all over the place as well. And people are losing their lives left and right uh, in the violence that we find on our streets. And it makes us wonder, what's going on? You know, it seems like we go through these cycles. Remember, remember Y2K and how we thought that when why, when the year 2000 came into being, that some believed that the end of the world was going to happen. Well, the same thing happened in, in 1976. I'm not sure if you were aware. But in 1976, they thought there was a group of people, a group of believers, believed that somehow through some sophisticated biblical uh, calculations, that the world was going to end. But when I go back and I look at all these, including World War II, remember how they call that the war to end all wars? Remember that? They thought that that would be the end. They thought World War I would be the end. Somehow things continue to be, continue to go on the way they always have been. So what's up? I believe that in each of these instances I just referred to, that God is showing us signs definitely of things to come. That these are snippets or just a taste of how bad things can really get. Now here in this letter, Jude, that his approach in his letter, yeah, he tells us mainly, as we heard in the first message, that we as believers should contend for the faith. But Jude also knows that uh, there's something else going on, that it is true we must be faithful in word and deed to all that Christ has called us to. But Jude is also telling us something else. As you look at Jude, beginning in 
verse 17, we find that thing that Jude refers to. And he simply says this, that the approaching end times, that it exposes ungodliness. The approaching end times, it exposes ungodliness. Verse 17, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So here, Jude says that in the end times, that folks are going to start acting crazy. You probably say, folks have been acting crazy on my block all along. You mean to tell me that's a sign? And I tell you, yes, it is a sign. But here Jude, in verse 17, he tells us to remember the instructions of the apostles. Jude, he begins this section, remember uh, uh, those key words and those key phrases, he begins with the word, but indicating a contrast or opposing-like thought to what was previously mentioned. And without much explanation, Jude previously, he had given us a list of characteristics, other characteristics, remember that, of individuals who sought to do harm uh, uh, for the church or to the church from within. So they didn't uh, simply stay outside the church and talk about the church. They didn't publish uh, articles about the church outside the church. See, one of the most effective ways that uh, if you want to be effective uh, in destroying the enemy is that you want to get into their house. You see, if the enemy can get into the house, then they can be more effective in bringing destruction amongst those people. These folks, they were ungodly. Recall how they perverted the grace of God. They rejected authority. They were rebellious. They were blasphemers. And lots of talk with no substance. They were grumblers and malcontent, all while showing favoritism in order to get some kind of advantage. These were some of the characteristics of these folks. But now he says that believers not only them, but also us, that we must remember the predictions of the apostles. The word prediction, remember that it is a warning, in this case, about a dire situation that's coming ahead, right? Uh, for instance, Galatians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul says here, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Again, the key here is to see, as we have said before, right? That's that same word, that same usage that we find here uh, concerning the predictions of the apostles. So this would be uh, similar to a sign that you would see on the side of the road. If you see a sign on the side of the road that maybe has a little rain and got little curves going on, basically it will say something like slippery when wet. 
They want you to know that there are dangers ahead. And if you don't proceed with caution, that your vehicle may slip off the road, causing you some great harm. So when you see a sign on the side of the road, you're supposed to obey. I remember one time, I, as I was uh, a little bit younger in my driving, and um, I was about to get off the expressway, and most of the expressway speed limits are between 30 to 45 miles an hour. But I remember as I was getting off, you know, you are, I was already doing, you know, speed limit 65, right, posted 55, right? Uh, so I was, doing, uh, I was doing about 65 miles an hour coming off, and I said, I know that that sign says that, but, you know, I think I'm good enough that I can go ahead and ignore that sign. I remember going off, and I began to go, and I started to lose control of the vehicle, and I immediately hit my brakes. What happened? I ignored the posted sign, and therefore I was about to suffer the consequences of it. So here Jude, he tells us that thing. He's saying, look, uh, that we must remember the prediction of the apostles, right? Not just these individuals, but also for us today. So the end times are closer today than they have ever been before. Again, verse 18, they, the apostles said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. So the behavior of these people indicate one important event that's fast approaching that we know about and is getting closer today, and that event is the end times, the last days. And you know that it's near because you can sense it in your soul. You know that something is going on out here. You know something is up, but you can't quite uh, get your finger, put your finger on it. So all we have heard in Jude so far that is clear. Jude says that these are signs of the end of days. Let's look at Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 5. Now this right here is a quote from Jesus. Of course, Jesus said this before Jude said what he said. So we go back to Jesus to find out what exactly he said. And in the verse it reads, See that no one leads you astray. And again, this is the red. This is Jesus speaking. Verse 6. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. You see, what Jesus is saying is that when we're hearing about all these hurricanes, right, and we're hearing about the earthquakes, and we're hearing about the famines, right? And we're hearing about the monsoons. We're hearing about all of these things. Jesus says that that is not the end itself, but that means that that is a sign of the end that's fast approaching. So Jesus says that what we must do is we must sit up and we must take spiritual note and not just say, isn't it really bad what happened down there, that we must consider 
in our prayer closet, Lord, what are you doing and what do you want me to do? So it seems many of the signs mentioned in Jude that they lead up to the signs that Jesus spoke about. That you get all these things, they're leading up one next to each other. The question is, how do I come to that conclusion though? How in the world can the signs that Jude spoke of lead up to that which Jesus spoke of? Well, before, as you know, any war happens, there's always some type of division, discontent, or great dissatisfaction. People are yapping off at the mouth and talking all kind of crazy stuff about what they can do. Certain groups of people are not happy. And certain groups of people are not afraid to express themselves. But also, uh, these natural disasters, they seem to increase in number or in magnitude. Right? Whoever thought, uh, they say that we would have heard uh, of a category uh, five hurricane even approaching the United States. The massive amount of things, uh, somehow, I believe, in the United States, we thought that we were protected from all those things. And in one sense, I think that we were. I think that God protected us. Why? At one particular point, when and if we love Jesus Christ and we lifted up the name of Jesus. Just think about it. Think about it for a moment. All the things that are going on, all the things that have happened in our recent past. And again, it's not just the weather, is it? It's also the political climate of our nation. We wonder, with all the tension and the stress that's going on, you know, can this nation make it through again? Something has been ignited, and it will take nothing less than the Holy Spirit to cause cool heads to prevail if God allows it. But exactly when will the Lord say, you know, I have had enough. Uh, let me roll this whole thing up. I'm done. So all that we have heard up to this point have been reminders of things to come before the end time shows up at, at, at your doorstep and my doorstep. What will you do? What will you do if all of a sudden, literally, uh, that there were no police to protect you? What will you do if all of a sudden there was no military? That if this world, if this nation had every man for themselves, what will you do then? One thing that we know is that God, uh, that He still rules and He reigns. But the end times is kind of like your mail, though, you know? It's, it's kind of like your mail, you... You know, one day you're, you're expecting something to come in the mail, and you go and you check your mailbox, and it's not there. Right. And then you go check another day, and it's still not there. And you go and find out what's going on with your letter or your package, and they say, well, it has been delivered, but you're saying it's taken a long time. Well, the mailman or the mail lady, they may miss a day. and They may even end up putting your mail in someone else's mailbox. But most of the time, one of the things that we know for sure that will happen, that you will get that mail. So, Jew says that uh, these things, that they're coming. Jesus says that these things, they are coming. 
And Jude goes on here, even in verse 18. And he says that this whole group of opponents, they're opponents to the true gospel, uh, that he rounds them up in this letter and calls them out more than once against scoffers, following ungodly passions, causing divisions, worldly people, and devoid of the Spirit. And notice it, it, it doesn't say devoid of a spirit because everyone has a spirit. It says that they are devoid of what? Devoid of the Spirit. That means they do not have, they do not possess, they do not carry the Holy Spirit with them. This is what allows them to do what they're doing. So the end result of these various activities of these scoffers is them bringing destructive behavior into the church body. Now, we're not going to spend uh, time working through those because we've already uh, addressed that in Scripture in another message. But this message has already begun talking about the contrast, uh, contrasting uh, that of the believer with that of the ungodly person. And now verse 20. Verse 20. Contrast a believer's need, needed behavior to the actions of the defiant. Now, uh, as Jude writes this, and as we see this beginning in verse 20, uh, that uh, what he requests of us is not a response to the ungodliness. You must remember that. That what he's telling us to do, and we're going to read this in one moment, in verse 20, that this is not a response to the ungodliness. What this is, is this is something that we should act like anyway as followers of Jesus Christ. So they're not doing this. We should not be doing this because ungodly folks are bad, but we should do this because we love Jesus Christ. So how do we persevere when false teaching is so prevalent and so aggressive? How do we persevere when false teaching is so prevalent and aggressive? Verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Uh, first, uh, the believer should build themselves up in the faith. But does Jude mean that we build ourselves up in the faith by praying in the Holy Spirit? Or, all, or are these two things two separate actions? Do we build ourselves up and then do we pray in the, the Holy Spirit? Or do we build ourselves up by praying in the Holy Spirit? What does Jude mean? In fact, one translation believes this is at the heart of Jude's thinking. Of course, we can suggest that building up our faith by reading God's Word and uh, committed, committing it to memory is very important to us, and it should be. But at the heart of what is being said here is demonstrating a dependency on the Lord, which the detractors fail to do. So we, as believers, should be different from those who oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, they were into themselves for their own personal gain. How many times have we heard that story? How many times in the course of our life 
time have we heard uh, this story repeated over and over again uh, by uh, preacher after preacher, so much so that some folks leave the church altogether. But it is not all true all the time. Nevertheless, believers are to build themselves up in the most holy faith uh, through the knowledge made available to them through God's Word. In other words, uh, how are you going to build yourself up? You're going to build yourself up definitely by knowing God's Word. How can you stand your ground? Some people, come on, some people stand their ground with a gun and bullets. But God is calling us to stand our, uh, stand our ground with his word. Because there's only one true foundation. There's only one thing that's going to last. Those bullets, those guns, that stuff is not going to last. That stuff is going to rust away. And some of those people may be the word of God. Why? The grass withers, but the flower fades. But the word of our God, that it does what? That it stands, it lasts forever. So if we're going to stand our ground, if indeed uh, we're going to build ourselves up in the faith, we must know the Lord and know the Lord through his word. Amen? Secondly, the believer should indeed always be praying in the spirit. Praying in the Spirit. Okay, here it is. Here it is. All right, so what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? I know that uh, many of you have that question, have had that question. What does it mean? Does it mean? Some people say that uh, praying in the Spirit means to speak in tongues. So when I go and I pray in the Spirit, that means I need to go ahead and, and, and speak in tongues. In fact, what does 1 Corinthians 14.2 say? For one who speaks in a tongue, Paul says, speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mystery in the spirit. Now, this is one of the things I've addressed, uh, addressed many times before, and I will address it again. Uh, number one, that if you indeed are a person who speaks in a tongue, it is God who gives you the ability, and can't nobody teach you how to do it. It is a gift from God. So can't nobody take you to a room and say, this is how you do it. Got a Honda, got a Honda, got a Honda, got No, that is not what the word says. If you speak in a tongue, it is God who gives it to you. You can't deny that. So if you got it, I pray that it was the Lord who gave it to you and not that you, you have repeated some phrase that someone has taught you. Now we say that we cannot deny the fact that it happens. Why? Because scripture tells us that it happens. So if you say that it never happens, then you are also wrong because scripture has led us down this path to say, yes, it's true. Now what does it sound like? Well, I'm not sure. But God knows that person knows. We cannot deny God's word. In relation to that, we could also refer to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, in which Paul also encourages the believer to pray at all times in the spirit. Very quickly, he says here, uh, and this is speaking about the full armor of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Uh, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So uh, the mysterious aspects 
of the Spirit's work is what confounds us, yet uh, presses us to consider the supernatural work of the Lord in all of our prayers. Therefore, we must consider that the Lord works supernaturally. Amen? God works supernaturally. Can you agree with that? Why do we say that? Because God is supernatural. God works supernaturally because he is supernatural. In this time of constant communication with the Lord, we speak back and forth with the Lord in the spirit world, which spirit beings understand to a great degree. But as we pray in the spirit of the Lord, it accomplishes the invisible work on our behalf. So in other words, what am I saying? What does it mean to pray according to the spirit? That means to be guided by the spirit of God when you pray. So you may drop to your knees and say, oh Lord, I need this. Oh Lord, I need for you to come forth here now. That it could be that you are praying in the spirit when you're using words that you understand and that you're asking God to help you through. This is what I believe. And sometimes God, he answers suddenly. And sometimes God gives you an answer right away. And other time God gives you an answer incrementally. Over a period of time, he may bring that answer to you. So we don't know exactly how or when he decides he's going to do what he's going to do. But one thing that we know, that God, he will answer. Amen? So we pray according to the Spirit. Are you praying according to the Spirit right now? Are you praying, allowing God to guide you through and with his Holy Spirit as he desires to direct you, to direct me in all things? But next, verse 21, we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. We are to keep ourselves, so not only uh, building ourselves up uh, in the most holy faith, uh, not only praying in the Holy Spirit, but it says also to keep yourselves in the love of God. Peter says in his letter that we are kept by the power of God in terms of our salvation reservation. Jesus also mentions that no one snatches us out of his hand, nor can anyone snatch us out of the Father's hand. With all of that, all of that keeping from the Son and from the Father, how is it possible then that we are able to keep ourselves in the love of God? Again, if Peter says that we are kept by the power of God, and if Jesus says that no one snatches, in other words, he keeps us in his hand, or if the Father keeps us in, their hand, in his hand, how can we keep ourselves in the love of God? Well, ultimately, I, I think we don't. Ultimately, right? Well, we, we still must recognize in all that we do that God, he is the one that has the power to really keep us. But here, there's a slight usage of this particular word in which it is now a clear imperative, right? Uh, the, other, uh, the other words that we're seeing in this passage, they're slightly different. But when we get to keeping ourselves, that this right here is a command, which means that there's a responsibility that we have as believers in Jesus Christ to make sure that we're doing all that we can to keep ourselves in God's love. 
that we must do it. That he's commanding us. The other words that, we, that we're reading there beginning in verse 20, it seems like they're commanding us. They're not quite commands, but their usage is a command light. But yet again, when we get to the word keep, he says keep, not keeping. It is a command that we must keep ourselves in the love of God. Hmm. God wants us to be more than just believers who know a lot. God does not want us to simply amass more and more information over a period of time. Right? He, he wants us not just to be able to recite biblical Greek or Hebrew paradigms or know a whole lot of theology in order to uh, not to be swayed by false teachers and preachers. It is not enough to have the ability to recognize false teachers. It is not enough to be able to have the ability to see their errors. This will not do. God wants our hearts. God wants our hearts. As a matter of fact, why don't you say, God wants my heart? Go ahead and say that. God wants my heart. God wants your heart. It means nothing if you have a big head and a little heart. God wants you to have a big heart and a little head. This means that we should desire to be near the Lord and to commune with him. This is a deepening love which is not mandatory but desired and sought after. How can you, how can you make somebody love you? Have you ever tried to make somebody love you before? Right? Go out and buy them a bunch of gifts. And before you start asking questions about me, just know that I'm not that kind of person. And hopefully you know that. Uh, but, but the bottom line is that you can't make anyone love you. They must be what? Willing to love you. As we're talking about what it means to be a kingdom man. You see, guys, if you are that kingdom man, your wife is going to love you. Amen. If you demonstrate great love for God, your wife is going to look at you and say, hey, 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 now, you got it going on, and boy, do I love you. You see, that's a, the type of relationship that God wants to elicit. Ladies, you want to be the wife uh, that, uh, that your man uh, wants to love? You go ahead and be that Proverbs 31 woman. And boy, boy, that guy is going to love you more and more every single day. Amen? Now, it's not going to be perfect now. He said, wait a minute, I tried being that. And so it's not going to be perfect, but what I am going to say, you're going to be more lovable to that man. Psalm 42, verse 1. This time I'm reading out of the New English translation, but nevertheless, feel free to look at yours. It says here, as a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. Isn't that something? What exactly does it take for us to want the Lord that much? Is he really that desirable that we can't wait to pray? 
can't wait to read his word, or can't wait to get to church or sense him speak to our souls, do we really pant after the Lord that much? If God constantly has this theme repeated throughout Scripture, it must therefore be true about what he wants of us. This desire for the Lord can only happen if we pursue him. Scripture says that we must seek him first. Seek him first. Next, are we to wait on the mercy of Jesus Christ, which seems like waiting on his second coming to the earth, waiting on the mercy of Jesus Christ. Again, it, our text says that in verse 21, this mercy, that it leads to eternal life. It is this fact that he will not uh, give us what we truly deserve. God is not going to give you what you deserve if you believe in his son, Jesus Christ. But we sit, we pray, and we wonder, will God be truly merciful to me even after I have not been the best of believers? Even those times when I have fallen short, will God be merciful to me? And I tell you, yes, absolutely. If you truly believe him and if you truly love him, God will be merciful to you. If you want the mercy of the Lord, you will receive the mercy of the Lord by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and as your Redeemer. And his mercy will be experienced when we get to the other side fully uh, of this existence that we have. Uh, we can await the mercy of Jesus Christ, but we do so with a hopeful expectation. We wait with joy. By knowing that the Lord loves us, we love him. Why? Because he has first loved us. So Jude has just encouraged us to be mindful of our relationship with the Lord in various ways, like in love, in faith, and also in hope for that matter. And this is always primary in, in, in our faith walk, that God, he comes first. But now beginning in verse 22, something interesting happened. If you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, you know that the first few commandments, that they're really focused on God, and the, remaining, the remainders are focusing on people. And here is very similar setup as well. The first few are really, in a great sense, focused on God, and now he focuses on people. Verse 22. And have mercy on those who doubt, Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Because the end of this letter has taken on a more positive tone, we must remember that Jude, remember, 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 remember that Jude is contrasting this section of, of the letter with the beginning verses which focus on the false teachers. What is therefore in view now are believers who have fallen into the trap of those false teachers. There's believers that have come to church day in and day out, and then someone has infiltrated the church body, start talking stuff, and then those folks, some of those folks who, uh, who had come to church uh, not really studying or knowing the things that they should know, and they got fooled, they got tricked. I believe here, that Judas is telling 
other believers to have mercy on them. Don't be so hard on them. Because there are some believers who have been fooled by a false narrative because of their failure to discern truth. Look around you today. If you are discerning enough, you will witness false teachers galore and prayerfully, prayerfully, not in our church. But if you look around, they're all around us on the street corners with, with signs, with letters on them saying, go there.org. Uh, they're trying to pull at your heartstrings, trying to find something that you can relate to. Uh, you know, they're asking questions like, do you believe things are really tough in the world now? You say, yeah, sure they are. Well, would you take this? No, I wouldn't. Right? Because they figure that they're going to manipulate you and take that one thing in common and get it, and then they're going to twist God's word on you because it is not really God's word what they have in the first place. <laughs> Most of all, however, remember that God has shown mercy to us. Therefore, we must show mercy to other folks. Amen? People that don't know, we must show mercy. Verse 23. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. He says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Snatching them out of the fire does not imply rescuing them from the hell fire. In other words, they're not in hell, and then you go and you pull them out of the fire. No, that's not what it's talking about, as if they were already burning. No, uh, that's not what Jude is talking about. What he means is to uh, pull them from the threat of the fire, even though they are very close. You grab them by their, their spiritual collars. You grab them with your spiritual hand and say, no, that is not truth. You need to stay away from that. It'll be like rescuing a person from a car before it catches fire. You ever seen that? Someone goes, you know, I need to grab you out this car because it's about to uh, catch on fire. It has, has that kind of sense, that kind of idea. The permanency of a negative situation, it has not grabbed hold of that individual. So therefore, they will not experience the fire of uh, the punishment of eternity. And there will always be some people in your life who will not experience that fire. Why? Because you have been that voice in their life. Because you have told them about Jesus Christ. There are people in your life that are not going to hell because you stood up and you had the courage to tell them about Jesus Christ. You did. You have snatched them from the fire by your faithful commitment to the gospel and your love for your friend, you have helped them to navigate away from the heat of hell while offering, the, offering them the goodness of the gospel of God. Finally, yet believers are to show mercy with fear. And how is this different from verse 22, which tells us to show mercy on those who doubt? Well, one explanation might 
be having mercy, knowing that we could be staying by, here it is, staying by the excrement of unrighteousness. In other words, to show mercy with fear because we don't want that stuff to touch us. What are you speaking about? But again, we should also show mercy with prayer that even the false teachers will come to Christ in repentance. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jude was even thought about. Zechariah says this. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you. Hold on. Wait a minute. Did you see that? Verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you. Why didn't the Lord say to Satan, I rebuke you? Ah, why didn't the Lord say to Satan, I rebuke you? Because now we're talking about the Godhead. Now we're talking God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in play. Verse 2 again, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand, here it is, plucked from the fire? Now Joshua is standing before the angel. And here it is, the next part. Clothed with filthy garments. You see, you remember what Jude said? Hating even the garments stained by the flesh. And now Zechariah says, Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments and the angel said to those who were standing before him remove the filthy garments from him and he said to him behold I have taken away your iniquity from you, away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments see Jude, he understood this. He was making this connection. He was saying, in other words, in order for us uh, to be protected from all those who want to destroy our lives, we must know God's word, know what God says about our filthy garments. He says, don't even be stained with them and pluck others out of the fire. God gives you the power. God gives you the stewardship, the responsibility to do such a thing. So as a believer in Jesus Christ, when false teaching is so prevalent in this world that you, me, that we are to hold on to core biblical principles, all while demonstrating a love for God and love for people. Love for God and a love for people as well. In that, we can stand strong and we can contend for our 
faith, knowing that the signs that we see out here, that we'll be able to stand strong because we have one foundation that will never, ever fade away, God's word and Jesus Christ. Let's pray.